Well, hello, everyone. This is John Byrne with Poets of Haunts. Welcome to Business Casual, our weekly podcast with my co-host, Caroline Diorfi Edwards and Maria Wickvilla. And today we want to talk about a story that appeared in the New York Times under the headline, Have the Anti-Capitalists Reached Harvard Business School? Story basically says social justice joins discounted cash flows on the syllabus as essential knowledge for aspiring corporate leaders. And what they mean by that is the greater emphasis on everything from climate change to frank social impact investing to uh, sustainability to diversity and inclusion, all topics that a new generation of people are very keen to discuss and get involved with. Now, there have been uh, movements like this before in the aftermath of some of the financial implosions that have occurred on Wall Street and elsewhere. Schools rushed to put in courses on corporate ethics and social responsibility and uh, governance and things like that. But ultimately, you know, one might argue that what's going on isn't anti-capitalist at all, but it's in the service of capitalism to benefit business. Maria, you went through one of these episodes when you were at Harvard Business School in the wake of the Enron disaster. What do you make of it? Yeah, so it's it's interesting because when I was enrolling in business school, the as you just mentioned, the Enron disaster happened. And for those of you, of our listeners who may be on the younger side, Enron was like the FTX of the early 2000s. Uh, and unfortunately, a very prominent uh, Harvard Business School alumnus had been in charge of and oversaw a lot of that. And so the school got uh, a lot of hate as a result. And so when I enrolled, they introduced a new course at the time called Leadership and Corporate Accountability. But really, it was meant to be an ethics class uh, to try to prevent the next <laughs> Enron, at least a graduate from Harvard Business School, from being associated with the next Enron. And I was curious to see how they would do this. I thought, well, how do you even teach something like, quote unquote, ethics? Isn't that something that is perhaps morally deeply ingrained in you? However, what was interesting about the class is that they basically taught how following a lot of these quote unquote ethical practices is in fact good for business. So for example, we studied um, the Tylenol poisonings in the early 1980s. So a, a disgruntled worker, some someone had put some cyanide into some of the some of the Tylenol capsules. And unfortunately some people died from it. And from a from a purely capitalist perspective, you might say, well, that's really sad. And I guess we'll just sort of pay those people some sort of a legal settlement. settlement. Um, but in fact, they Tylenol decided to do a national a, a recall of every of every bottle that was on the shelves. It was hugely uh, controversial, hugely expensive, perhaps overkill. However, the positive benefit they got from that, the, the goodwill that they received from the community, from consumers, you know, that ended up more than outweighing the initial cost when people thought they were crazy for doing a recall, that it more than ended up outweighing because now people know that they can trust Tylenol. And so that was one of the lessons that we learned where a case of doing the quote unquote right thing wasn't simply good for your, you know, your moral, internal, touchy-feely, ethical compass, but in fact was good for business. And so a, much of the course was around that. I mean, studies have shown all sorts of things, like for example, you know, that that uh, funds, investment funds that are run by women or startups that have women in a, in a significant leadership position, for example, often have higher returns uh, than those that are only male dominated. So lessons like that, where you, you learn 
some of the right things to do, but you also learn like, hey, this isn't simply <laughs> for your own internal benefit, but there are also, you might also think about the, the capitalistic quote unquote benefits as well. I, I think that that's kind of the, the focus for a lot of these courses. Yeah, that's definitely true. And and some of this stuff is, um, I'm not going to say it's a fad. Uh, I hope it's more than that, to be honest. But some of it is a reflection of the times that we're in. You know, Wharton is going to begin offering MBA majors in diversity, equity, and inclusion next year, and and in environmental, social, and governance factors for business. Uh, Yale, apparently, according to the New York Times, has devoted nearly half of its core curriculum to ESG, which is sort of the acronym that's often used uh, to talk about uh, social responsibility uh, in business, social responsible investing. Um, and, and Harvard is lumping in more case studies on these topics as well as some courses. Caroline, what do you make of all this? It's interesting that that Maria references the Enron case because that definitely spurred a sea change at, at business schools. Um, I actually lived through the, the 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 whole experience having worked at Arthur Anderson in before I went to business school. So. I, I I lived through the implosion of the firm in 2002, and so you know have have firsthand experience. It was quite a fascinating. It, it was like you know the Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times. It was a fascinating experience to to have just before heading off to business school, and then when I got to business school in 2003, um, INSEAD had um, reinforced the the ethics curriculum. And I very well remember, as, as Maria does, the, the ethics classes. And in fact, the professor that I had for ethics at INSEAD um, had also taught ethics to Eriberto at Stanford because he, at that time, was going back and forth between INSEAD and Stanford. But so, so you know, it did start some time ago. And, you know, the, the schools, I think, are very conscious of their responsibility and and fearful of the consequences of cases like Enron, where alumni can be held up as examples of, um, you know, the way not to do things. And it, 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 you know, it does have very bad PR consequences for schools and and the MBA in general. Um, And then when I started working at admissions at INSEAD in 2005, so nearly 18 years ago now, and I've definitely seen a big evolution in the interest that candidates have in having a positive social impact, right? So, you know, sort of 20 years ago, it didn't come up so much. Um, it was starting, but it wasn't something, you know, sort of 15, 20 years ago, it wasn't something that people wrote so much about in their applications. Um, it, if it was, it might not be sort of core to their career interests or to their story, but that has changed dramatically over the past few years. And I've seen, you know, really... Um, huge change. And I think that's one of the biggest changes that we've seen in the interests of candidates over that period, um, that they are much more committed to having a positive social impact than the previous generation. And that it's very common to read that in an application. And I don't think that they're just sort of saying that because they think it sounds good. I'm sure some of them are. But but I do think that, you know, it's genuinely you know, heartfelt for, for many of these students. And so the schools have had to respond. And, and you know, as this article in the New York Times describes, those schools have 
really ramped up dramatically the the number of courses and electives that 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 correspond to those to, to ESG and and you know respond to the interests of 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 students in in those areas. So as you said, I think, I think it's very positive. We have a lot of issues um, to deal with as as a society, and you know particularly the environment. You know we're we're really on the brink here. So the the more that we raise a generation of future business leaders who you know have a social conscious and environmental conscience, I think so much the better. Yeah, that's true. And and you're right. I mean, there's been a, a significant demand from actually both the faculty and students for rethinking the obligation of the corporation to society. And, and some of this is a result of, you know, overreaching by by companies and you know, illegal activities and, and motives where, uh, you know, profit exceeded every other goal in, in the company exceeding the 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 need to be a responsible uh, member of society, being responsible to your employees, your customers, and your suppliers. And money does get in the way. And let's face it, uh, a lot of the people who practice uh, these very capitalistic movements in the world, uh, I know in Europe, they often refer to America's capitalist system as jungle capitalism for how aggressive and market oriented it is. But many of the people who actually propagate these practices are MBAs in the world of work. You know, all that said, how anti-capitalist is it to treat your workers with respect, to follow the, the rule of law, to care for the environment and care for less privileged people on the face of the earth. I don't see that as an anti-capitalist thing. I see it very much as a factor of a well-functioning business that understands that it has obligations that extend to those who are not merely shareholders. And, And shouldn't we all think that way, Maria? Well, I like to think we should all think that way, but, but technically speaking, those things that you just mentioned are not part of traditional capitalism, right? Traditional capitalism is maximize shareholder value. And if paying my employees well or giving them sick days and all that stuff, that literally flies in the face. Yeah, you know, we, we can say, well, in the long term, your employees are all going to hate you and then they'll all quit. <laughs> uh, but in the immediate short term, especially in a, a world in which uh, stock prices are driven based on quarterly results, strictly speaking, from a purely capitalist perspective, I, as a pure capitalist, should maximize my my firm and therefore my shareholders' financial success in the next quarter. And so these longer-term investments in things like the environment and what have you don't fit the definition of capitalism. Now, I do think, you know, this, this I don't think that it's necessarily anti-capitalistic to suggest otherwise. I just think that we need an, a reimagining of what the term capitalism refers to. And the basic thing is looking at things from a more long-term perspective. So even the most cold-hearted person who says, well, I should treat my employees like garbage because they need me as they need me. (laughs) And if they don't like it, they can go somewhere else. That's great. But in the long term, you're not going to be able to hire people to come work for you, or at least not good people. Um, You're not going to have employee loyalty. People are not going to give their best. Uh, Same thing with the environment. You know, a lot of people like to treat the environment as sort of this invisible this sort of externality, like, oh, why should I care about it? But the fact is, you know, you can be a, a you can maximize profits in the short term, but if you don't have a, a functioning planet ecologically in the next 20 to 30 years, um, oh, maybe you should have worried about it beforehand. So I think it's, it's, I think what we can do is we can, 
we can uh, educate people to the idea that, you know, you might not think that in the short term these things matter and maybe they don't, but in the long term, your company is going to suffer. And from that perspective, in the long term, you are damaging your shareholder value and therefore you should re-examine uh, how, you, how you look at these topics. And all of this harks back to the famous economist, Milton Friedman, who once said there is one and only one social responsibility of business and it's to earn a profit. Because if you don't earn a profit, you basically can't employ people and you can't produce goods and services that are that may be ultimately helpful to society. But I think that people are on, you know, tired of the Friedman definition and they're tired of shareholder primacy. And this younger generation wants more out of business uh, than just the need to make profits and satisfy investors. Even though many of these MBAs go off uh, as investment bankers, uh, they go into private equity and venture capital and put pressure on management to do just that, make more money for themselves. Uh, Caroline, I mean, that that is really true, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, you know, it's all it's also true that, right, they've invested a huge amount of money in the business school education. And so many graduates feel compelled to take the highest salary that they can command when they graduate, right, to pay off those debts. So that's also part of their decision making. So for sure, the majority of graduates are not heading off into positions that are primarily ESG driven, right? But nevertheless, I, I think there are. It's not such a minority interest as it was, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty years ago. It's much more core to the debate at business school than than it than it used to be, and you know, hopefully that will stick in the minds of those uh, of that new generation of of graduates going into finance and private equity and consulting and so on and and. You know, I think that will have an impact in the longer term. But of course, as Maria mentioned, you know, so many businesses are driven by the quarterly results and, and short-term thinking. And that that is a huge tension um, in this arena because, as she said, you know, the uh, issues such as, you know, relating to the environment and so on, it's a, it's a long-term question. And long in the long term, we're all much better off doing the right thing but in the short term in the in the next quarter um, if you're trying to maximize profits and shareholder return then doing the right thing for the environment um, is probably not in your immediate interest so that's a that's a huge tension in business that that you know we're, we're grappling with and I don't think anyone has really figured out the answer there unfortunately the other noteworthy thing about this is that this is filtered into admissions. Because how many applicants who apply to business school actually make a point in saying that they've been involved in an organization or maybe they've founded one that serves some social purpose or social good? And we generally in admissions consider that to be a real positive in a person's applicant profile. And, and in fact, if you don't have an extra where you show that you're concerned about someone other than yourself, I, I think that that's a real uh, red flag for many admission officers. So a lot of this thinking is very much reflected in some of the decisions that admission officers are making at the schools and that applicants are rising to out of their own personal interests, yes, 
but also out of their personal self-interest to get into business school. Am I over-exaggerating this? I was just going to say that, you know, INSEAD, for example, is definitely taking that into account. And that is a shift in their admissions policy, right? So, So over the last couple of years, they have decided to look at whether the candidate has had a positive impact in some way, right? Not just achieve great things for their own benefit, but have they um, in some capacity, and it could be, as you say, it could be in their extracurriculars, or it could be in their day job, or it could be in their family, or there's so many different ways ways they could do that. But then they are explicitly looking for students who have had a positive impact. So, and, and that is a change, right? And that is not unique to INSEAD. And some schools actually have questions, right, in their application that relate to you know, what positive impact you've had, you know, trying to tease out the, those stories from, from the candidates. So I think it's, you know, definitely something that, that has changed over the past few years. Yeah, true. And Marie, I'm sure you see this in some of your clients and the folks who uh, make use of Applicant Lab. I do. However, I, I have a, a slightly more cynical take. I think that some people will only do the tutoring of the needy and working for the homeless shelter because they know it will benefit their business school application and not because it comes from a a place of genuine interest. And in fact, I think it's gone a little too far where now I see people sometimes, you know, applying with a career vision, let's say that is, you know, I've been working in private equity uh, for the past five years, but now I want to do sustainable impact investing. And I'm like, but you've never done it. Like, no, like (laughs) people people feel there's this kind of rumor out there that you have to be, you have to be this amazing do-gooder to get into business school when I don't necessarily think that's true. I think someone who has been very, as long as they're not overtly evil, someone who has been extraordinarily accomplished will still get into business school, even if they haven't done um, a ton of community service. And, you know, but I think it's gotten, you know, sometimes it, it leads to people being a little bit disingenuous in what they choose to do or what they write about in their applications. I would be fascinated to know, um, and I'm sure this would be like the, the alumni records people, it, as they track alumni after they graduate, I would, you know, not to give them more work to do, but if they were to track people based on what they wrote in their applications and the people who say like, yes, I have been you know, doing financial literacy in my spare time. And so now I want to leave Goldman Sachs and instead launch a financial literacy social enterprise. Like, do they actually do it? Do they continue with volunteering after they graduate from business school? Do they ever go back? Like, that's just my own little, that's my slightly cynical take on it. However, my non-cynical take is, look, even if somebody does something good, like, you know, tutoring an underprivileged child, even if they do it for the wrong reasons, hopefully it at least exposes them a little bit to something positive. It puts a little spark of, you know, like the Grinch, (laughs) we're approaching Christmas season. So like approaching like a little, a little thing for the Grinch's heart, um, you know, in the longer term. And, you know, I do, my non-cynical take on this is that my hope is that with you know, these, these current generation with these schools offering more emphasis on things like ESG, that as people go out into the business world, yeah, maybe they're going to go into consulting and banking and what have you. But as they rise through the ranks, that they will keep these lessons in mind. And then when they get into positions of power, they will be able to start to affect some of this change. So, you know, because I feel like if, if all of the business school graduates end up joining the environmental nonprofit we're, it'll just be a marginalization of those people yeah. because it'll because the narrative is just going to be like, well, you're just a bunch of whining, you know, hippie, kumbaya <laughs> do-gooders. And, and in terms of actually implementing changes, I mean, I think one of the things that's been really interesting is seeing over the past couple of years when, 
you know, for example, when certain environmental regulations were rolled back, I believe some major corporations said, you know what, we don't care. Like we're still going to go, even though under a certain uh, president that we had, some environmental regulation. I think some com companies said like, look, even though technically legally we no longer have to abide by some of these decarbonization uh, goals that we had, but we're still going to do that. We are still going to continue to, to try to hire um, you know, diverse candidates and give people from different backgrounds a chance, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I am cautiously optimistic that as long as the companies start doing it and start sticking to their guns on that. Um, and so if today's graduates, maybe, yeah, they do go to banking for a few years, but maybe 20 years from now when they're the MD of that bank, they can then say, you know what, guys, here's how we're going to change our recruiting process and here's how we're going to change it. So I also I also think that if if all of those folks were to go to join nonprofits and social enterprises, that no change would ever happen. <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 cautiously optimistic that these that these uh, students of today will eventually will hold on to these lessons, uh, even if they don't immediately apply them. That at least when they get into positions of power, they at least uh, keep them in mind. Yeah, look, the, I, no question about it. Exposure to these topics is a good and positive thing. Uh, and you're right. Even if uh, people aren't going to go and immediately do good in the world in the, in the sense that they're doing things that um, maybe don't have a profit motive, um, it's still important for them to, to see the implications of the decisions uh, that are made in business on a regular basis, uh, good and bad. And there's one sentence in the story in the New York Times, which I think is pretty interesting, because I think it does sum up this topic quite well. It says, many of the students taking courses about challenging capitalism aren't letting those big classroom questions overtake the ambitions that landed them in business school in the first place. I think we can all agree with that. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's a, it's, it's a positive that these schools are understanding their need to educate future leaders about ESG initiatives, about social of the important climate change and its impact on business, about diversity and inclusion, all the topics that a lot of people are very much concerned about these days. And the fact that the schools are responding to these demands for increased uh, exposure to these topics, I think is a really positive outcome. All right, then. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quats. You've been listening to Business Casual with my co-hosts, Caroline Diarty Edwards and Maria Wickvilla. Thank you, Maria and Caroline, for your contributions today. And for all of you out there, thanks for listening. 